0: Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which might be the vehicle that takes you through that journey. And each week, we will be talking with mentors who may provide the roadmap for your journey. These coaches have paved the pathway for many players and coaches. Most have authored books and papers on tennis and life, and they continue to give back today. Who are the mentors you might be hearing each week? Well, on the first Thursday of the month, we have Dr. Alan Fox with us, a great coach that brought Pepperdine to uh, prominence years ago, author of many books, the second Thursday is legendary coach Chuck Recy. Uh The third Thursday is Dr. John Murray. Today you'll hear him. And you notice all these. And the uh, and, uh, fourth Thursday is either Linda LeClaire or Scott Williams. This coming Thursday, it'll actually be Scott Williams. And if you haven't noticed, all of these mentors have authored books um matter of fact most of their books uh when i put together the fhs tca uh training for the uh certification for tennis team coaching uh their books are part of the process that you get uh, points for so uh these are the people you might be well you should be listening to and then of course on that occasional fifth thursday well, you never know. You might hear some, some most likely, you, uh, hopefully, I pray that we still have our, some of our past mentors like uh, Ashley Hobson, uh, Shelton Cruz, the FACA uh, Executive Director, uh, Florida Tennis and Founder Editor Jim March. Uh, naturally, uh, I'm uh, biased with Florida Tennis, and uh, this week, actually, uh the uh, magazine came out. If you haven't had, you received your magazine yet. You should get it any day. I suspect some outstanding articles in there, and um, my articles included in there on uh, uh, an old basketball coach perspective on tennis coaching. A little longer than most of my articles, but uh, it was hard. I wanted to give recognition to three individuals that I felt uh, really were big assistants uh, with me in bringing a coaching perspective uh, from basketball into a a tennis perspective that has proved successful for me for a number of years. Um, And those three people are uh, the great Dennis Vandiver. Why he's not in the Hall of Fame is beyond me. uh, Chuck Reese who was on broadcast uh, quite frequently, and um, Nick Saviano. Uh, uh, i I borrowed so much from so many people over the years. Uh, there's not a lot of original ideas came out of my head, but uh, uh, I always tell people I'm a great thief of great ideas and uh, but these three individuals were uh, really important in, uh supporting my ideas and um, what I thought was needed to bring that uh, basketball perspective from an old basketball coach that decides to uh, get into uh, tennis coaching. And, uh, and uh, that's what my article is uh, about, uh, this next article. But other people that you... Um, might hear uh, on these shows uh, could be um, coaches like uh, Bobby Payless or Tom Farum, or maybe PTR uh, executive directors and USPTA executive directors. We've had them both on, Dan Santora and John Emery, or dozens of other college coaches that we've been blessed to uh, have on, as well as USTA officials. Uh, and other industry leaders who have really blessed our broadcast uh, over the last three years. And because I do believe Dr. King's statement, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, time permitting, I will add my personal views on tennis and life at the end of the broadcast. And naturally, you'll hear my bias. Uh, views uh, that the tennis journey should be going through high schools and college, and uh, I didn't get a chance to uh, listen to uh, Chuck Reese's uh, broadcast uh, yesterday. Uh, I will get to it. I never miss any of them, uh, but uh, as a matter of fact, I think uh, J.P. Weber was scheduled to be on there, so that should be a very interesting uh Uh, broadcast. But I'm sure there'll be something about well, I'm not sure, but I suspect that uh, there'll be something about uh, high school uh, tennis and college tennis. College tennis used to be uh, the training grounds for the uh, American tennis players going into the ATP uh, tour. But uh, naturally, you'll get to uh, hear more about that, and I will be tuning into uh, the broadcast uh, for sure. And besides our weekly uh, conversation, like I j- just said before, the Florida tennis is uh, coming out. Uh, well, it came out this week. Uh, I looked at my articles, a lot of great articles, and a lot of things are happening, and the, many of them come through Florida. I really appreciate uh that there, but uh, hopefully, uh, you'll be able to continue reading my articles uh, over the years uh, in Florida tennis. And as I previously expressed, if you disagree with me, please email me. Uh, I don't understand why people would disagree with me, but a lot of people do. And you can email me at coachdenise.fhstca at at t.net. That's Coach denise D-A-N-I-S-E dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. Who knows? You may even see your views in Florida tennis, or you might hear them, uh, them on our uh, Coach Denise Sharon Tennis blesses broadcast. Uh, it would not be the first time. I've done it in the past. Uh, I'm going to give you my views as I believe they are, and, uh, I do respect and um and I do uh fear that we're not good listeners uh anymore and uh, so I I do read and uh, listen to your perspective I try to sit there and uh uh take what you have to say because if we disagree or not there's so if we listen closely There's something in the message that is worthwhile to talk about. And when I feel those things uh, and see them, you know, quite frankly, I share them. So I was kidding before when I said uh, I don't understand why everybody doesn't agree with me. I know that has happened in in today's world, Uh, even more so, I'm afraid, unfortunately, uh, here in Florida, uh yesterday uh was a tragic uh day another high school shoot and more people uh uh being killed senselessly. uh it's just a terrible thing and then the last two days you will you've you've heard a lot of views and a lot of uh, opinions on it so uh I put I put down what uh, I was going to talk about, and I will we'll get to it at a time. But I have some things I think worthwhile that uh, we should at least think and consider and hopefully, uh, you know, maybe uh, do some good. Who knows? Uh, as I get older, truthfully, I have more uh, questions than answers. I, I used to be a lot smarter when I was younger, but... Uh, Today, I seem to be asking questions all the time rather than uh, being able to handle uh, problems. But uh, I think uh, listening is an important thing, and hopefully I'll have something worthwhile to say, but we should see. Today, we should have a very interesting show because we have uh, Dr. John Murray uh, on, and uh, Dr. John Murray is sports psychologist, that uh, actually lives close to that area there, and uh, uh, so he might even have something to say. Who knows? Uh, as you know, I uh, the best broadcasts we have are the broadcasts where our guests do most of the speaking, and it's not an I got you show. I usually try to, you know, talk to about the things they want to talk about. It's a lot harder with Dr. Murray because he doesn't always uh provide things. He's uh handles a lot of things off the cuff, so uh uh he'll get my views today. Uh, I would also like to thank uh JP Weber, uh the yellow ball CEO CEO excuse me, for hosting our network. And if you're not following we coach tennis, On Facebook, you are missing out on some useful information. And like I said before, I believe uh, J.P. uh, was yesterday's guest on the um, Chuck Reese's American uh, Tennis Broadcast. And uh, I haven't listened to it yet, but I will get to it. Uh, Believe me, I will. uh, It's been a little uh, hectic and crazy. Uh, Yesterday was a crazy day. Uh, I would like to remind you that if you're not subscribing to Florida Tennis uh, or someone has taken the last copy of the magazine from your pro shop, you can always find my articles and the last issues at www.fhstca.org. That's www.fhstca.org. And you might also find one of Jim Mart's articles uh, on Florida Tennis Magazine. It's hard to get everything into the magazine. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Florida Tennis Facebook page, I should say, not the magazine. Uh, We we do have a Facebook page, Florida Tennis, uh, on Facebook. And some of the things that have come up in the middle of, uh, uh, in between issues, Around there, uh, although there's a very nice article uh, in there uh, about uh, Doug Booth retiring from uh, the USTA uh, Florida uh, section. He also uh, had uh, something. Hang on a second. I have Dr. Murray going on the other line. Doctor, are you there?
1: Hey, John, that's the wrong number.
0: I tried that number. and couldn't get through. What do you give me? You couldn't get through? Let me give it to you again and just make sure that uh, there's a problem because... uh, It was out
1: of of order. I tried calling at the
0: appropriate time, but it was out of order. Okay. Well, you you should be able to get in now. If you try this number, 714-583-6853
1: three
0: six eight five three right seven one four go okay sorry about that folks but that was dr. Murray there having trouble getting in and uh, I think there's too many things we can discuss there so I want to make sure that he gets in today but like I was saying uh, um, when Doug booth retired uh, there was note we- of Put that up on Facebook right away, and you'll often find things. Uh, mostly, the information that'll be given there are things in between the uh, issue of Florida tennis. And I think I see the good doctor on there now. John, is that you there?
1: That's me, John. How you doing?
0: Good, good. I'm glad we uh, got in. That was. Uh, I usually don't take uh call in because, as um, you know, I'm leaking into the 21st century with uh, the uh, uh, computers, so it takes me too long to get to the mute button. But uh, well, we I am there. looking forward to, to our conversation. Uh, I had told the people before you came on that it's uh, usually a challenge because you're, you like to talk off the cuff so much, but... Uh, I, I would, I, I just, uh, I, I've been going through the books that we have uh, used for our, our certification uh, uh, training that we used to use and uh, and read and some of them over. And I've read uh, Sports Tennis, your book there, which was yeah, one of the yeah, first books. On the yeah, sports Tennis, absolutely. But mm-hmm. I was thinking, uh, because I had a self-published book that I've been thinking for you to do I want to add something to it, but I want to keep it uh, short if you were to add a uh, chapter to that what would they be about
1: if I was to add a chapter to the smart tennis book I'd probably go into some of the more basic mental skills I developed when I wrote smart tennis about 20 years ago I talked about the classic what I call the classic mental skills so confidence, uh-huh. focus, goal setting and imagery and that kind of thing I would probably go into more basic skills that can be applied in daily life and also on the court would be things like, you know, pure discipline and proper effort, proper resiliency, you know, when something goes wrong, uh, keeping the right passion and, and love of the sport. I would probably add three chapters that dealt with more basic uh, motivational types of skills like that. Oh, okay, so you're talking about that in
0: three chapters if you did enough one. Okay, well – maybe I'm thinking of something too but I mean I've, I looked at that and I'm saying boy it's relevant today I often hear about the newest and greatest things and there are things we should and I always encourage young uh, coaches to uh, go in and write a book about it but uh, it does uh, sometimes maybe because I'm old I don't know but when I hear the newest and greatest thing and I read some of the old stuff and reading um you know sports tennis, it, it, it seems like it's still uh, a relevant book today. Well, I mean still you could read, you by could,
1: the way. Well go, you know, go back to two thousand of course it is. Of course it is. I had the great excitement and this this is a great um we could call it an ego boost if you want. Uh, just laugh at me if you want. But I went down to Australia uh, during the Australian Open one year and I went to an obscure bookstore in the middle of nowhere in Adelaide, Australia, because it was at the Adelaide Open to start out. And there was my book and I was like, Yay, made it all the way from Florida. So, you know, there's a lot of books that are written, you know, in the in the classic books, you know, from from the time of the ancient Greeks, books from you know, from people from, you know, the Orient, like like Sun Tzu. I mean, they're great they're still good today. They mean just as much today as they did then. So good knowledge is never wasted. It's never overlooked. You always did stuff from the past to the present, whatever. It's all good. you know. I agree.
0: Sun Tzu. I remember reading when I was in the Marine Corps and thinking I was going to be a general someday reading him and then uh, I didn't get to go to college until after I got out of the Marine Corps and read him again. And then uh, uh, I think it was the University <laughs> of Florida coach. Uh, oh, I can't think of his name. He's at LSU now. I think it was him that, or no, it was the new coach that said that He's based it on that, so I read the book a third time, and it's, uh, it's always
1: great reading. You, you know, that's something good about books, and we don't read enough books anymore, and everything is, you know, so much the uh, the social media. Uh, you don't know how much, how much reliability you find out there, but you, when I read a book another time, like two or three years later, I always get a different perspective from it. So, you know, you, you know of course, the great classic, The Inner Game of Tennis, like you can read that 10 different times, and you get 10 different. Uh, perspective. So I, I think that's always a good idea to encourage reading amongst our students. I agree with you. I
0: agree with you. Uh, let me ask you another question. Uh, what, if any, is there any difference between being a sports psychologist and a clinical psychologist?
1: Well, that is a good question. Um, there are many uh, descriptions of what a sports psychologist is. I have a perspective that might be Uh, a little bit different from some people, but I I feel like a sports psychologist should also be a a psychologist, whether it's a clinical or a counseling psychologist. My perspective is probably based on my experience as well, just the idea that you have to treat the person, help the person with off-court issues, because that might drastically impact performance and also well-being, but also be able to teach mental skills, psychological training. So uh, the clinical psychologist traditionally – you know, if you go way back into the past was someone that was adept at diagnosing mental illness. Now that's when we started out, that's when we got our our real uh benefit to society, say after World War Two. But as times evolved, I think it you know, it doesn't have to necessarily deal with mental illness. We there was a big positive psychology movement and maybe sports psychology is sort of somewhat like that in the sense that we're looking at normally healthier people that are trying to have success. So we're pushing the envelope at a higher level, not going into a rehab facility and trying to help, you know, drag someone off the ground. But there's the clinical psychologist is typically, you know, uh, trained in a much more formal education, uh, uh, supervised training to deal with all kinds of diagnostic issues. And the other side of the coin, the, the mental coaching, you know, is best acquired through some level of sports science training, sports science education, as well as supervised uh, training under a qualified sports psychologist. So it's, it's a really complex question, but I've written a lot of articles on the, you know, what is it that defines a real or authentic sports psychologist? And I think that the bottom line, in my perspective, is you need both to be able to really help a person.
0: Yeah, so the problems then really are related. Maybe you should uh, give your uh, uh, information now before I forget and get in some on your uh, how people get a hold of you on. Uh, on the uh, internet
1: because I think there are the problems can be related then. No, no doubt about it. You know, I, I see people with general problems, you know, maybe 10 or 20% of my practice would be just people talking about issues in their life or dealing with families and kids and that kind of thing. The other 80% is usually athletes trying to get a boost and trying to improve their performance or deal with something off the court. If you want to find me, if you're that desperate, just kidding, haha. Go to johnfmurray.com. That's J-O-H-N-F as in Frank Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y dot C-O-M. I'd love to interact with you and you know tell me what's going on and I'll I'll try to help you. Well, you've helped a lot of people I appreciate that.
0: And I always say we're having mentors and uh, that are on our show. People that are continually giving and you're sure one. Let me ask you another question. With today's technology, uh, you know, can the phone and, uh, said webinars, uh, sessions, uh, are they, can be as effective as, um, you know, coming to your office uh, or
1: not? No, that's a great question. And, and, you know, I used to think I had to be on Skype if I was going to do that or I had to be on some kind of a Snapchat or, you know, live broadcast feed and all this crazy stuff. But you know what? Goes back to the old telephone, folks. I think because uh, people travel, especially in tennis, but also in other sports. I've got you know Premier League soccer players that you know they're not coming to Florida un- until the summer, so they're talking to me on the phone. Uh, golfers travel. You know, I got people that some people I've never even met in my life. It, it's all been a phone relationship. And interestingly, about seventy percent of my clients are on the phone, and a very small percentage of that want to do. Skype. It's a little bit, I don't know, it's a, it's a little bit asynchronous, whatever the word is there. It's not quite as clear as just talking on the phone. And what really works well from my experience is when, when a client puts on headphones, goes into a room somewhere and has total peace, total focus, and we can really get a lot accomplished. But if they can come in initially for the initial intake, the evaluation in my Palm Beach office, that makes a nice Set up because now they've met me face to face. I've met them, I've seen the body language, that kind of thing. And then we can follow up on the phone or in person.
0: So then, sports uh, athletes are not the only ones seeking your services. Uh, and I, I, I think another thing that I've always felt a little bit, I won't say incompetent because I. Been blessed to take and a lot of psychology and read it, but I'm sure to enter it like you are. But I've always felt that you know sometimes helping other people, you need help yourself. I mean, coaches and uh, when you're talking uh, sports and people, should the coaches and the players and the parents and the man, you know, management should they all be included in the conversation mm-hmm. or should they be treated separately or? Or maybe...
1: No, that's, um, a, that's a terrific question. Keep going. Maybe what?
0: I'm just thinking <laughs> or maybe, uh, uh, you know, coaches should just stand to, you know, just take care of the tennis uh, basics. Uh, I've, mm-hmm. I've often said to me, I, I haven't had it recently as much as I did 10, 12 years ago. It, it the first time, you know, and when you first came in helping us with the workshops and people are saying, well, in high school, what do you need a sports psychologist for? And I always thought, you know, (laughs) I look around and I see, uh, maybe I'm too judgmental, but many of us coaches can use the help, not just the kids, but we all need it.
1: No, no, you're asking a number of questions. First of all, yeah, we all do need it. In fact, sports psychologists need it too. If I need help with my golf game or if I get a little bit down or if I'm anxious about something, I need to see someone. Just because I'm knowledgeable doesn't mean I can – treat myself any good doctor knows that but as far as who could be involved there's there's some practice guidelines that that i think apply here i think you know first of all a team approach tends to work great okay if i have a player who's working directly and i've got a lot of players that work with coaches a lot of times coaches actually are the source of the referral mostly it's the coach or the parents that get me there um get the client to my office excuse me and it and i always include them initially in the evaluation especially if it's a junior athlete If somebody was a minor, I'll interview the parent for a good half hour. I'll interview the coach for 15 minutes on the phone and get that incorporate that into the report. As far as what they do with that client, uh, it it really just depends. You know, that's where the clinical judgment comes in. There's so many different possibilities you can't even explain them on a phone call, on the radio. But definitely, there's there's a there's a need for boundaries. Everybody has their specialty. Just like I'm not going to get in and tell you how to hit your backhand volley under pressure. You know, uh, I used to do that 20 years ago when I was coaching, but point is that we all have our areas of expertise. So I think it, at some level, the coach does well to let me do my job and I, I do well to let him do his or her, her job. And we all work together and have the best impact on the client as, as possible with you know occasional consultation. How's he doing? How's she doing? You know, what's going on out there on the field, on the court, so, so some level of communication is definitely important to keep the team informed and to try to help move the move the the, the project forward, uh, the client forward, whatever. But I don't think you, you don't want to step over boundaries. You don't want to try to do. Coach doesn't want to be a sports psychologist, and I don't want to be a coach.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's that There's always times that I see things and I. I say, you know, we need uh, helping you you know you go out there. I, I have I wonder about and and I'd like to have your opinion, you see it in the women uh uh end of it, uh that coaches can be called out and you can coach in between a changeover. And I remember one incident, and I won't mention the names, but the uh coach came out and uh, started talking and and she's contradicting him and telling him that, you know, this is what I have to do. And he's telling her, like a layperson like me would say, all you have to do is serve this game out. You serve it out, you're going to win that. And uh, I I watched that quite a few times. And I sit there and say, mm-hmm. I would probably have done the same thing that Coach would. And yeah. uh, I don't see anything wrong with what he's doing well, the bigger question is and I did talk I matter of fact I called you and you were going crazy and I called another oh Linda Leclerc and she made one suggestion to me uh beforehand. She said, Well you might have done this and I thought it was an excellent point. But it gets to my bigger question is should I be going out there then or should part of the team be a sports psychologist at that level where that's the person that's out there not the person that knows about the stroke and knows that all you have to do is serve one more game. You know,
1: should yeah, you no, be going I mean, out
0: but... there rather than me? Well,
1: I don't... John, are you there?
0: John? John? Well, it uh, looks like, for some reason, I've lost John. Let's see. Maybe, uh, hopefully, he'll come back in again. But, uh, well, unfortunately, you're going to have to listen to me for a few minutes. Oh, I think I see him back in. Hang on a second.
1: John, you there? Hey, John. Yeah, somehow we got disconnected. It's one of these smartphone uh Genius uh, things where somebody sends a text message or makes a call and it kind of cuts it off. Sorry about that.
0: Uh, okay, I didn't think it was me, but I was worried. <laughs> uh,
1: to, to answer did your you, question, did, you know, I, I, yeah, I heard your question. I just want a question you asked. Great question. I think if I was with a team and the coach wanted that and the team wanted that, I'd make sure that I worked it out in advance. And then they would have their person. I mean, everybody's different. Maybe some person would like the coach to come out. Another person might want the sports psychologist. Another person might not want anybody coming out and interfering with their, their particular style. So it's a, it's a difficult answer. I, I've not ever done that. I don't, I don't hang around courts, you know, coming out to talk to players, but there's nothing wrong with it if the player would benefit from it.
0: Okay. Well, that's it's just something that stuck in my mind because I, you know, I I think you have to know a little bit of everything, but you know, a, a tennis coach knows strokes and knows the game. A smart psychologist knows uh, more well, about the mind and yeah. everything. And I saw that, and I looked at that incident, and it was obvious she wound up losing and she wound up, um, you know, but uh, right or wrong, I would have done the same thing that coach did.
1: Well, one of the things you got to be careful about is, you know, doing something that makes the player think too much in the heat of battle. I was. I work a lot more on the the time in between points than the time actually during the point. I mean, we might, in our imagery, I had an imagery session a couple hours ago with a nice client down in South Florida. And we worked on keeping balance on the front foot, uh, hitting the ball at the apex on the volley and being really focused know, stuff. So I encourage some of the things that we do during the point, but most of the time the work is done in between the points. So the the pre-performance routine confidence building good goal systems in place having good resilience strategies there's a lot of things you do that don't involve the point because you want the player to be in a really relaxed automatic state and I think sometimes stepping out of the court if you're not welcome could inject some extra anxiety or some thoughts into the player that may or may not help them it probably might hurt them more it just depends on the player
0: yeah, I think that's an excellent uh, point, and I've, I've seen coaches uh, go out on the co- car and the women tour, and uh, uh, a, a small revision I would make is I, I think that they should be asked out on the court rather than running out on the court to give advice because there's sometimes uh, no matter how smart you are what you have to say, if the person's not ready to receive it, <laughs> you might as well be talking
1: to a yeah. wall. I agree. I agree. But I think all these things can be worked out well in advance. And I think I would also emphasize that they, the player do some visualization on that so that the player's ready for that when that happens so that they've dealt with that before it becomes part of the game, you know, pitching coaches come out all the time in baseball, for example, I don't know mm-hmm. how much they actually talk or how, whether it's just kind of a time to take a little break and relax a little bit, but it has to be done with care, whatever you're going to mess around with the heat of battle. You got to be careful. Yeah, true.
0: Well, I have another question for you. And uh, to people that have been listening uh, to my broadcast the last three years uh, uh, know that for the last two years, I haven't watched the uh, NFL, uh, which is another story that usually at the end of the broadcast, I make my commentaries and the reasons why. But I'm fascinated. I do watch you all the time, and I, I try to keep up on Facebook and everything. And I'm fascinated with, uh, about uh, your um, mental performance index for football, And my curiosity is uh, the question is, uh, can that be used for other teams? I mean, can you use that for a college tennis team or a baseball team? or is it uh, or maybe well even I, well, I suppose you could use it for a college football team. It's not just for the pros. But uh, how about other
1: sports to be used? Well, yeah, I, I've done that in, let's say, less formal ways. For example, you know, the, the concept of the MPI needs to be understood. What we're trying to do there, uh, the Mental Performance Index, is we're trying to measure the actual observable mental performance. The you know things that you can see and you can you can observe uh, how a player executes in you know pressure situations, key you know match points, break points. Um, you know how they close out matches. There's a lot of things that are analogous to like a, a critical third down or fourth down in football, for example. Um, how you how you might avoid unforced errors, how m- might avoid penalties in football. A, you know, there's a lot of things that are observable that relate to the mental aspects of performance. So, I think what I've actually done is I've had spreadsheets with clients where they, we make it a science. We actually have them develop some categories and then give me a rating. Uh, after a practice or or a match. And then I go back and do some analysis of that and help them to find out what they really need to be the best they can be. So it's just taking a more intelligent approach to, you know, when I measured the the football performance of teams, that was the first time anybody ever measured the mental side of performance. And we talked about it, you know, forever, since the time of the first caveman trying to get a, a woolly mammoth, you know, with a spear that came in better had been focused and confident when he threw that spear. So mental skills have been with us since the beginning of time, but for some reason, nobody ever took the time to to quantify and measure that until I wrote that book in in, in 2001 about the, the performance of football teams. And some people laugh at that. Other people understand it and see how serious it is and how valuable it is to really take that. What we know is so important, whether it be in any sport, tennis, golf, football, basketball, baseball, and And treat that with the utmost respect by measuring it that's all it is. It's just the measurement of the things you're gonna work on if you don't measure it, you don't know if you're getting any better so that's that's the approach. There's many ways to do it. It definitely should be incorporated into other sports. I just haven't taken the time yet to write that book yet for tennis or golf for that particular aspect, but I do do it in different ways in my practice.
0: I see now I'm making an assumption here. Well, you talked about, you know, making these charts with the players. So there isn't, like, you can't send me one chart to say this is what you're going to do. Is it, it's made up between the player and you?
1: Well, actually, it's even beyond that. It's made up by science. Now, it sounds kind of a strange answer. But I do an analysis, you know, do some correlation analysis to find out what works. So the first step in that process might be to identify an outcome measure. It could be a win-loss record. It could be a subjective rating of performance by the player or by the coach, and then you then you analyze a number of factors. Say, for example, to get um, just simple for mental skills, it might be how uh, how well that player ha- has practicing that week, or how how let's say how confident that player was that particular match. Okay, so we might have a factor of confidence and a, a factor of how well he's been practicing. And using the data, you can analyze the correlations between confidence and outcome. And so we kind of let the science or the statistics determine what factor is working best based on the highest correlations. So it's a way to kind of use an empirical approach to becoming, because everybody's so different. You can't, you know, what might be important for you, John, Denise, might not be important for John Murray. So we have to find out how we tick and that's kind of where the clinical the experience comes in. It's not a perfect science, but it's a lot better than what a lot of people are doing. So I'm very happy with it when we do it. But the client, again, needs to want to do that. You can't force a client to collect data, but I think it has value.
0: And I, I'm making another assumption now. So in uh, football, then, I'm guessing you need the coaches involved, too, then. Uh, uh, am I wrong?
1: No, not at all. What I did in my book, the Mental Performance Index that I wrote, like I said, I wrote it in 2011 and revised it in 13. Is I I got game tapes from every Super Bowl in history, except for there was like one where I had to piece together home movies to get the, to watch every play. It was kind of funny. Uh, believe it or not, they actually erased the tape of the game. I think it was the 60, might have been the 68 or 67 Super Bowl. They actually erased the game tape because it wasn't it wasn't considered important, so they used it for. A future broadcast of something else. It just ruined the tape. Uh, so, in any event, I watched every play in Super Bowl history and I, I developed a system whereby I could actually chart and rate every single play on a computer and then that would generate my score. So, it's more observable. In football, in the particular way I've done that with the MPI, it's observable, quantifiable performance, including the mental factor. And then you get a number between. Zero and one. Usually it's, you know, 500 is average, a little bit better than that. For example, when I looked at the Eagles and Patriots, I saw that the Patriots were performing a little bit better in the playoffs. That's why I came out and made a pick that the Patriots would probably beat the spread. And I've been right eight of the past 10 years doing that, you know, but that's still a very small sample size. You know, let's see how we're doing after 100 games. I won't be alive then, but I think that's more valid than 10 games. But yeah, that's the way I did it with football. Uh, interesting.
0: I in my uh former life, I I my article in Florida tennis is about uh, an old basketball coach perspective on uh, tennis coaching and uh, coaching basketball before I got involved in uh, tennis uh I used to say and tell the kids uh that uh, at the end of uh Game, you know, I knew we would win or I knew we would lose. And after a while, uh, some of the uh, kids would say, "Oh, coach, yeah, you always know what's going on," and I was right about eighty-five <laughs> percent of, ninety percent of the time. So we started. I would put my prediction in if we would win or lose in an envelope, and then the kids would open it, and if they, uh. uh one, they were uh, really wanting to see if they lost. There's a lot of times they really didn't care what my prediction was. And uh, But I probably – and I always wondered if I was doing the right thing, if that was good or bad. But I probably if I could have taken that, like when, we, when I knew we were going to lose, I could see they weren't breaking – to cover a fast break, I could see that they were, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's never usually based on if they were making shots or anything, but it was based on, you know, the performances coming at the end of a game or coming at the end of a quarter or how we were converting from offense and defense. Were we really protecting or were we not? Yeah. Could I'm thinking, am thinking if I knew you back then, I probably could have expanded that envelope and got better results from that. Am I
1: wrong? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you're probably really good on your own, but everybody likes to be Nostradamus. I think that's one thing. Anytime the big games, you know, whether it's the Final Four you know, or whether it's the Super Bowl or whether it's Major League, everybody wants to make a prediction. And what's funny is I was always trying to be really serious in the two thousands earlier on and, you know, give my serious statistical analysis. And I found that they didn't want that. I mean, I went on national TV, national radio, I went on Bloomberg radio, like three years in a row, for example. And they, they wanted to pick, they wanted the fun angle more than they wanted my serious right. deep analysis. And, but I'm sure, John, I'm sure you knew, you know, probably more than anybody else, the quality of your team's practices. And you could probably you know do better than my MPI to be honest in that regard. But, but, but Truthfully, you could actually take the possession, for example, would be the – you'd rate the possession. You'd do something to rate the, the mental skills that were displayed during that particular possession. And how many possessions are there in a basketball game? You can figure it out. Same thing in ice hockey. So, you know, in football, it's the play. In baseball, it might be the at-bat or the pitch or whatever. You, so you got to look at the unit. In tennis, it might be the point. And you would rate the point or rate the unit and give it a score – and then hopefully it might be have some predictability to it. So that's what I, that's not the reason I invented it. I invented it to help teams to how they perform so they could get ready for the next game with more intelligence and, you know, not overlook something they might've missed, but it turns out that the whole world wants a prediction.
0: Yeah. And I guess then they're all looking for titles. And, and what you, you know, you're right. I, I think of, uh, you know, 10X Week when they called you uh, uh, the Roger Federer of sports. Uh, you know, sometimes the title, right, maybe it gets us to read. I guess that's why they do those things. Or the Washington Post, <laughs> they called you, you know, the the feud of football. And, uh, the Freud you know, of Freud uh, football. Sigmund Freud, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, hey, no, there's they're, they're, <laughs> go ahead go ahead no i just, those, are just, uh, just, those are funny labels but i will use them <laughs> if I can use them I'll use them
0: well, and I guess they get the people thinking and uh, reading i uh, like you said earlier, I don't think we do enough uh uh reading and uh uh it's it's a it's a shame and I don't think we uh read uh, enough of uh the the classics uh uh, part of um working with my wife and her uh NJTL program you know, we did an after school uh, uh tennis in the constitution and I had somebody wow. uh sat and uh looked in my briefcase and uh they're sitting. well actually it was sitting on top of it was uh, a Bible and they said, Coach you can't have that in the school and I said, Can't have what? in the Bible and and I said, "Well, how oh, do no. I teach constitution i have I also have Plato in there. I have Aristotle in there. I have Cicero in there. I have the five year hundred year leap in there uh i'm not giving them anything new i'm just we're talking about how our forefathers <laughs> came about to make this decision and I'm not smart enough to do it on my own, but you have to read all these things but i I think uh, we're just not into reading like we used to be. i don't know.
1: Well, the, I, no, those are <clears throat> great ideas. I think we're all teachers to a certain extent. I'm a teacher. You're a teacher. We're all teaching each other. We're teaching our kids. We're not doing a very good job with school violence, apparently, from what happened recently here right down here in South Florida. Um, that's a whole yeah. other topic. I'm, we're all very active on Facebook and Twitter on that topic, and we probably don't have time to get into that right now, certainly. But, yeah, I think books are wonderful. I'll use them a lot of times when I'm with a client maybe at a tournament site We'll go to a bookstore or a coffee shop, pull a book off the shelf, and we'll inevitably find a lesson in that book for what that player might want to do. It sounds hokey, but there is so much rich information in books in terms of what – especially I like autobiographies or biographies of great people and how they made it and what they did to make it. And so borrowing from the past, standing on the giant's shoulders, you know, makes it a lot more fun. It brings it to life. It's a better teaching technique.
0: No I couldn't I couldn't agree yet. Yeah. We have uh, we just about shot a program but I'm going to and I, you know depending on your time I, I, I appreciate you you know every other month I mean every month you being uh, part of the broadcast and I don't want to ask you to give too much time but usually the last 10 minutes of the broadcast I go into my perspective and truthfully uh, it's not, like I said, it's not always about sports, it's sports and life. And uh, I do have some remarks that I want to make about uh, the tragedy that happened yesterday. So if you would like to stay on, I'd be glad, um, you know, you're probably more capable and, and you and I, I think uh, reading on Facebook what you do, and I agree with ninety percent of you, but we do have uh, disagreements at time. And I always tell people sure, sure. on the broadcast, said, you know, if you disagree with me, uh, you know, email me, uh, Coach um F H S T at C A A T T dot net. And uh, you know, when you talk about it, I'd be glad to, uh, you know, I'm giving you my opinion, and I respect uh, yours. So. If you would uh, have anything you would like to say for the next minute, and then if you'd like to hang on, I really, I have some thoughts that I, I yeah. would like to share with the audience, with, which I normally do when uh, time permits. So first, is there anything well, definitely you would, would like to
1: say? Yeah, I won't take much more of your time. I think we need to do a much better job of, of assessment there there are certain qualities that go into horrible mass shootings. I wrote an article about the Vegas shooting that you know, where I identified some of the, the common patterns, things, you know, that where people dehumanize people or twisted logical thinking would be another example of, of, of something. And I think we need a good solid and I'll let you talk. And the last thing I would say is that we need to, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me and that's okay, but we need assessments before we start giving out killing weapons. We need to really make it, a challenge to make sure the person's healthy and sound doesn't present a, you know, a danger to society. Australia took the extreme measure of of removing all, all, you know, assault weapons and, and they haven't had a major attack in 22 years. So anyway, that's enough of me for now. And I'll, I'll look forward to hearing you, John. Thank you all for listening. It's always a pleasure. Send me your questions and continue to support the great work John Denise is doing. Thanks, John.
0: Well, thank you for being on, and I appreciate that. Uh, and thank you for the great work you're doing. Thanks for sharing it with your audience. So I think uh, hopefully you appreciate what John is doing. Like he said before, uh, you you don't have to attend his office. You can go to the office or you can uh, uh, call him. Uh, you can find him uh, on the web uh, site, uh or you can uh, find him on uh, Facebook. He's, uh, uh is on there quite often and a lot of uh, important information. Uh, I, I think his article on uh, what he stated on the uh, Las Vegas shoe and a lot of important stuff there. Uh, one of the things he just said, uh, you know, my question is what would a test look like? you know how do you tell that person and i think we're at a a very tricky time in society right now because i don't disagree and i i agree with what he just said we have to i'm a believer of the second amendment i'm i am a, 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 a i don't think, i think i'm a liberal but i'm i'm a constitutionalist for sure i do believe in society's uh Need to make rules, and as a republic, I thought we made the greatest document of all times because we even left room to change it. The Magna Carta is based on, but it's uh, that can't be changed. This can be changed. But I was, I went back uh, thinking about about 50 years ago, and there was about 10 things going through, uh, about, probably about 55 years ago, 50 plus years ago, when I was going through the academy in Connecticut for. Uh, police training in uh, for, for the police department and back then I think they were thinking more for the police officers than the uh, doing testing for the outside world because we're a controlled group of people we are given a weapon we are uh, uh, going in front of the public all the time and I was trying to think of the the 10 things they gave us uh, but I thought they were a pretty good outline, and I, I don't think I have all ten of them, but the, the things that came to me, and I think they're important, and I I have to remind us that I think these are things we can do. Uh, the first one is, stood out because I think it's not just for us, it's for everybody. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we grateful? And it's, I think it's hard today sometimes when Uh, the negative stuff that is thrown at us all the time. I think, uh, unfortunately, our media uh, is looking um, to, you know, I don't think they're talking to us. I think they're talking to policymakers, and they're trying to influence them. And uh, a lot of times there's so much negativity in there, and we have to ask ourselves, are we grateful? And um, do we put a value? The second thing was, Um, Do we put a value on ourselves and on, uh, you know, and and on what do we do and use? Do we put a value on what our choices are that we're going to sit there and go out and, you know, do or support or not support? Um, My uh, not watching the NFL for the last uh, two years was not. against any of the players there because I'm old, but I'm not that old to remember all the stupid things I did when I was, uh, younger. It was against the management of the NFL. I think the management, you know, it's just terrible. And I used to be a season ticket holder, um, you know, for the New York giants when I lived in Connecticut. So I'm, I come and I was, um, blessed to, um, go into the, uh, uh, well, not the Hall of Fame, but the uh, Police Officer of the Year with Charlie Jackson, who ran security with the NFL. So I've been the Super Bowls. I've been blessed to uh, be around these people. I've been blessed to be in uh, uh, lockers. Uh, and uh, I just think that the management of the NFL, uh, there's responsibility for management. I think you have a responsibility to your shareholders, and that was my argument. And uh, I think the the other thing is: Are we kind? Uh, are we kind to ourselves? Do we sit there and you know, trying to you know, be nice to ourselves? Are we too critical of ourselves uh, One of the things, truthfully, I struggle with sometimes. Uh, you know, you, you, it's not just being uh, generous with your time. Or, Uh, financially, it's being generous with your time. The one thing I love about our mentors on this broadcast, and I'm so blessed to be able to talk to all these people, is they're giving away their time. And, you know, I I suggest to you, when you don't hear them on this broadcast, it's probably because they're giving their time to another effort that they feel is more important than what we're doing here at that time. Um, do we uh, overcome do, or do we overthink problems? That was the other thing. You know, the problem, uh, you, you always, as a police officer, you're always trying to evaluate the situation that you're going into. I spent most of my life, in, the, uh, or not my life, but the time in the police department and the detective bureau because I didn't look good at the uniform. So you're trying to solve things. You're trying to evaluate. But are you overthinking things? And I always that stuck in my mind. And sometimes my wife, uh, quite frankly, thinks I overthink things. And uh, she's probably right. She's been right a lot of times. Do we enjoy the simple things? And I think that's important. And sometimes we just forget about the simple things that uh, you get enjoyment on. Uh, uh, listening to uh, you know, Chuck Reese and I, and I haven't listened to yesterday's show um, he's not a, a big proponent of Facebook, for instance, but I, I tell him that we disagree about the value of it. There's, Yeah, there's a lot of junk on there, but there's a lot of good things. To sit there and listen to uh, John's daughter sing, for instance, and when he shares that, I mean, wow. Uh, you know, <laughs> holy mackerel. It's just such a good feeling. I just posted on my Facebook site, a a five-year-old girl singing the national anthem and holy mackerel it just blows my mind when people say oh it's too hard to understand the words and everything if a five-year-old girl can understand and then sing it like that uh, so um, i think there's a lot of things out there and i think we have to you know let's enjoy the simple things then you know, can we let go of anger? That's the biggest thing, and I think that's where we need people like Dr. Murray and other people as how to sit there and do that. I think we're all at times need help for getting things uh as we get older. I think we probably uh uh have do a better job of getting rid of uh, anger when something happens, but um, you know we can't afford as a society for everybody to get old. I mean, it's just, uh, we we have problems with our young people and this stuff. You uh, we love and respect yourself? And that was one of the things that, you know, police officers stood a certain way. And the little time I was in uniform, you know, before you get out of the car, you'd put your hat on because you had to respect yourself and you have to respect uh, the other uh uh, people uh, you know do you make time to help the people around them uh, I enjoy on facebook scene theres when i' see a policeman doing something uh, uh, to help somebody when they're in trouble or not just arresting them and um if the times do change some and i think uh um uh, you know, I, I think you to be you have to be a tough individual to be a good police officer, but I think uh, you know, and I and I think they are, but we're just not recognized in the, how much they do help, and and there's more times than not you're helping others, uh, so I think that was uh, you know, and all these things are just needed for coexistence if we're going to do that, and uh, I, I just. I don't know. I, I just feel that we're at a point where, uh, you know, it's just too quick to blame uh, guns as the older only reason. Is it a factor? Sure, it's a factor, but, uh, but you know, do we really want to address the issues? If we do that, then I think we have to address the, the parenting responsibilities. Uh, computer games, uh, when a kid watches a computer game, that uh, Somebody gets killed and they come back to life and then their arms are cut off. But now they get a robotic arm. Uh, these violent movies uh, that they are. And I think, you know, uh, yeah. taking the Ten Commandments out of schools was that a good thing? I mean, we are, we were based on a Judeo-Christian um, society. That's what this is about. And Our constitution. Yes, we're open to everybody but well, we should be open to those people that want to accept the values of this country. And of course, my big thing you're doing this shows. is that I really believe that sports, uh, you know, some of the value that we we have a failure into entertainment than we are into the competitive value. And I've often say on this broadcast, competition is not a bad word. It's going to be something we're going to do for the rest of our life. So let's, Get our kids ready for competition. And that's, uh, I think sports, you know, it might be, I think it's important in, you know, helping us get through these problems. Uh, uh, you know, Sparta Olympic, we're watching the Olympics value now. Those Sparta Olympic values uh, uh, were a big part of that republic. John, we have about 40 seconds. Is there, Where am I wrong
1: on this? On. Uh, look nobody's wrong nobody's right john i, I uh i was listened to what you said you've got valuable points and i uh agree with some of it disagree with other um i think it's a tremendous career you had there i think there's a lot of good life lessons that you can impart on people and you have uh but but it's, uh, the the, the, sh- the shooting issue is very complex um I mostly lean right on my perspectives, but on the gun control issue, I think if you want to go to Facebook, you'll see some of my detailed commentary. And you don't have to agree with it, but I think I lived in Europe for five years, where they had forty handgun murders in a country like Germany, but forty thousand in America. And that that kind of at that point, I my, it was kind of like a light went off in my head. But that's just my partic- particular perspective. And I think
0: the most important thing you said is we have to listen to other people's perspectives. I, I think too often and we're sitting there listening to a point we can cut in and interject. Doctor, I thank well, you for being on. All great. I great. look forward yeah. to talking with you again next month. Take care. Have a blessed thank week. You. Thank and you.
1: Thank you so much, John.
0: Okay. And remember, uh, Coach Scott Williams will be on next Thursday. Bye now. You okay with that? Yep, I thought uh, it went pretty good. I thought it went pretty good. There. Uh, I didn't want to log out. I did the wrong thing. Well, honey? I said I logged out. I didn't want to log out. Okay. going to be able to do this for a while.